Welcome to the Creative Land Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com slash cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. So I guess we can get started. It's three after uh, six. So, uh, welcome to uh, the LGBTQ plus uh, representation in sci-fi, horror, and uh, fantasy. Um, I think uh, it's a very wonderful topic because it's, we're starting to like bust onto the scene now, um, and some people are upset about it, some people are happy about it, and um, they can die mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, we can uh, go ahead and like do uh, introductions of who we are. Oh, go for it. Uh, well, uh, I'm Cameron D. Blackwell. Uh, I write uh, gay sci-fi horror and urban fantasy stories, uh, mostly with a, a POC, uh, a person of color, lead character, because that's just kind of a vacuum that I feel we're missing uh, in. And uh, I also make fabulous nine lines notebooks. Yas, Queens. But you hate that? I did. And uh yeah, I've been uh writing since like the fourth grade and then like really started in high school and haven't really stopped since. Uh except last year. I did stop last year. <laughs> but I'm starting it up again. We don't talk about. See, I like to refer to his last year as 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So I turned 35 again this year. Yeah. <laughs> oh sure. Um, I'm Cody Wagner, and I am the author of the trilogy, The Gay Teen's Guide to Being Siren. Yeah. Um, LGBTQ awesome um, urban fantasy. Yeah, there was actually a lot of debate with the title because people were like saying don't put the word gay in the title because you might be exclusionary of people who may not want to read it. And I was like, this is going to let people know exactly what it is, who needs stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And if they don't like it, well, they probably don't want to be reading it anyway. So mm -hmm. can we cuss in here? Yes. So fuck them. So it's a trilogy about a teenager who comes out, his parents drag him off to this horrible prey way to get boarding school. But when oh. the parents leave, the school reveals it's actually a secret refuge for gay teens. Oh. And he's going to a secret gay high school. And there's a fantasy element involved as well because, like lots of queer people, I grew up with fantasy. So, yeah, so that is, that's me in a nutshell. All right, and I am Kristen Murbeth. I also write as KS Murbeth. Um, my latest series is The Nova Vita Protocol, which is a uh, space opera trilogy about a family of interplanetary smugglers. Um, it features two main characters, one of whom is a bisexual woman, and her no. main romance is with another woman. And the 
other character is demisexual and also gets some, uh, a good romance arc. Um, and it also takes place in a very, uh, very normal world because space is gay and that's just how it is. <laughs> <laughs> is the whole trilogy about? Uh, the third one is coming out in just a few weeks, so yeah, oh, there's been a Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm your toast and I'm Weston Oaks. Um, um, I'm, I'm pretty straight, but I um, I really try and make sure that, so I write, I'm known for writing military sci-fi, military war, and, and I really try and make sure I, I, I interject real life people in there. And having been spent 35 years in the military, I've met, I've, met, I've met a lot of gay friends and I want to make sure that all those guys are representative uh, because um, it's, sometimes people think it's too macho and it is and there's nothing wrong with having a macho gay guy yeah. and, and I, I want people to understand that they're just like anybody else so in fact one of my favorite one of the favorite characters of my fans of my Burning Sky duology is McQueen um, um, and that's his call sign it's his name and his call sign because uh, he's, a, he's a gay bouncer in West Hollywood for, for the, uh, uh, the, the bar the bar called food bar <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this bar, but it's 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 uh, definitely everything that you can imagine to be. So I'm just trying to represent it from my point of view. That's awesome. Oh, I totally forgot to talk about my sci-fi series. It's called Perils of Space. I have six books out, uh, nine written. Uh, basically, you're. Is fetch, uh, so fetch. <laughs> it's so fetch. It's a future, retro futuristic, like space, uh, space adventures, Flash Gordon, um, Commander Cody, all that good stuff. Uh, I wrote it originally as a serial, so I posted episodes every Tuesday. I'm like, oh, I can just put these all together in a book. And I am going to work on putting the first three books, like the next three books, into one compendium, so that people cool. are working on that. Okay. So, um, so the topic is representation of, of the Rainbow Mafia <laughs> in, in sci-fi, horror, and uh, fantasy. Like, why is that really important? Like, what, what, why, why do we need this representation? The answer is obvious, but like, I just want to hear people say it. Um, I actually have a quote about that um, that I'd actually stored on here that came up, but it was someone, and it was someone much smarter than me, who said, when you open a book or see a movie or anything and read of a character who thinks, feels, and loves the way that you do, you feel less alone, you feel more validated, and you feel more confident in your identity. I almost read you feel more violated. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not been the right thing. I was like, ooh, it's gonna be That's a, uh, a good starting point for me. It just reminds me that uh, I think it's important for queer folks to have stories that aren't just based on tragedy. You know, um, we get a lot of stories where, you know, one meets one, one loses one, one dies, or both dies, and something tragic. And like, we, we need more stories based on, not, I mean, tragedy, it happens, but like, that's not all we represent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like Weston said when 
more people need to be represented like his macho gay friends. Yeah. Um, they exist. Yeah. yeah. You can't just have the one stereotype. Yeah, and that's the stereotype, right? <laughs> like, oh, all gay men are effeminate. Yeah. And that is remarkably untrue. And there's a really good um, Modern Family episode that goes into that where, like, Cameron and his husband, mm. his husband brings him something for Mother's Day. Oh. <laughs> and he's all like, you think I'm a woman? <laughs> what is wrong with you? So, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think that trope of just, like, feminine mm. is still pretty prevalent, like almost like we're getting so much more representation, but that trope is still Being so widespread. Because mm-hmm. I was watching, um, and it's not even sci-fi fantasy horror, because that's where you see still a lot of the tropes, Nine Perfect Strangers, and Luke Evans' character, he, it was very masculine, and I was like, oh, he's gay, but he's playing someone who's straight, mm-hmm. but his character was gay. And I was like, oh, like, this is just, we like people who can be gay, straight, masculine, feminine, mm-hmm across media and that should be applauded so I thought that was really really nice yeah and I, I want to say you also touched on the idea of how like there's so much queer tragedy in media and like there are stories about that that you know are touching and are important but like kids who grow up reading that are going to kind of absorb the idea that that is what their life is going to look like and no. that they can only have tragedy not a happy love story or just an adventure where they happen to be gay. Um, so that's what I like to write about in, in my books when it comes to representation. It's just like, it is a part of who they are. It is on the page, but also it has nothing to do really with the grand adventure of their life. It's, there's just, there's so much out for them. And, you know, I'm happy to spoil the ending and say that uh, none of the gays die here. All the straight people do. Don't <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, uh, this is about the straight people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, they've had their time. <laughs> this sounded like when you first started that and talked about like all the tragedy, 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 when the little kids in the back sound like they went, oh no. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Track there. <laughs> the point is for the characters to die not because of their sexuality, yeah. but because it's that's life. Mm-hmm. It's not a defining trait, it's a trait. Right, exactly. Yeah. There was a, um, I have a friend who is much like Random House Major published, and he had a book that had a character who was struggling with their sexuality, and they actually told him, we, we, we were not mentioning sexuality. Like, if, they, if it's a female character who kisses a girl, that happens. But we are removing sexuality and just having people be people. And they're actually focusing on that and who they publish. So they had to remove that aspect, which is pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you said about um, kids growing up with gay tragic stories. Um, I grew up when um, Boys Don't Cry came out and when Matthew Shepard was um, tragically murdered and that was all I saw and then like all of a sudden gay characters were coming out on TV but they were all like tragic figures and I was like oh my god I was what 16 17 at the time and I was just coming out I'm like oh my god is this is this what exists for me like there was no just normal gay people that were just living their life to the best or you know and I think I think that's slowly turning around. I think that's, uh, or 
you know, quickly or slowly, but like, yeah, we were real people. But the thing that I'm really hoping to really push into is, you know, people of color uh, and queerness. Like that's an intersectionality that is often overlooked. Like there are a couple of mainstream characters that are uh, queer and, and a person of color. Like I know like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they have two or more. I'm like, oh my God, you can't have two or more. It's usually just <laughs> the one. Now you're getting creepy. <laughs> and you know, and, and that's also a response. Like you can't have just more than one gay person. That's not how life works. I'm like, girl. <laughs> right. We cluster. We find each other, and you know, there's you know an entire spectrum of us hanging out in one group. You know, it's not just that token. And I think that's something I want to push out. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> but I'm, I love what you said, though, like about still you see that most gay characters or queer characters are still side characters. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think needs to be pushed as well, is that give us some main characters who are weird. Like, show us that we're not just a caricature or a side piece in people's lives, that we can be the star and we can be the center of attention and have our own complete story that is ours. I know of a TV show that is just coming out on BritBox. Uh, uh, they have, it's another one of those like murder mystery ones where this lead detective comes back to his hometown. It's like a fundamentally like religious town, and he's gay, and he was excommunicated because he was gay. But somebody died in his town, so he has to go and figure it out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's not just you know a side character at all. He is the lead character, and I'm like, I want yes. to go to there. I need to see this. Yeah, absolutely. It's also it's also the ability to write it. Uh, you know, I would love to write a. Um, uh, a major gay character in one of my books, but I can't because because I, I I don't want to do do injustice, right? Um, and, and I'm just I'm afraid that I mean I'm the I'm I'm the antichrist, right? I'm the old I'm the old funny white southern male Christian male that you know it's like you look at me and, and, and I'm that grandpa get off my lawn, you know that guy, and I and I don't want to cross that guy, but I can write the secondary character. Well, Cameron, what do you think? I was, whenever you were talking about like people of color, about someone who's like a cis white male writing a queer person of color as a main character, because I think that's a good point. Like, tips or information on that. Couldn't you just write them straight and then change the person that they're potentially attracted to, like their pronouns Mm -hmm. and their, like, you know, like, oh, you write it? I think there's a lot more nuance in that, you know? Sure. I really do. And and it's, it's, it's the, the character becomes interesting in the nuance. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that, but I do feel like when you are talking about people, regardless of what how they label themselves, motivations tend to be fairly the same. Survival, have their needs met, get emotional support, accomplish whatever goal it is. And while, yeah, nuance would be important, I mean, like, who couldn't have just a gay character who that's not anything hard to do with the plot except like that's just who they are. I guess I feel I feel that there's a certain amount of stress on me to get it right the first time. Like I have, I have one chance. Because if I don't get it right that first time you're gonna get cancelled. You know, yeah, it's it's like it's like, well he doesn't know anything. He's he's just so and so so and so, you know? So so I, I do feel that pressure, you know. 
Taylor was pointing out in another lecture how like the biggest thing you can do is just reach out to people that have those life experiences because they're the ones that can be like you're on the right path or no you're way off <laughs> yeah so I mean this is definitely a conversation where I feel like I need to listen more than I talk but Cameron you said something in a, in a previous lecture today um, regarding like virtue signaling and it just made me think like damn like this is I see this as a need you know with, with the loved ones in my life that have, have these needs that you guys are expressing how can I be part of this without doing more harm than good mm. you know how can I do it the right way without virtue signaling how can I do this to make my loved ones proud listen and, and beyond that though I mean like you, you listen and I think it's there's a nuance of like how do I show these experiences and these perspectives of the loved ones in my life by listening I still feel like there's, I still feel timorous. Like I don't want to get it wrong. Well, you know, just because I, I just love them so much, and I I see the pain they're going through, and it's I'm to the point of like I've got empathy, I've got compassion, and I'm just like, shit, I got to get this right, you know, for my nieces and nephews. How do I do that? I just have a thought about this. Like even when you like Tom Sison, he tried to make the freaking light bulb 73 times before it actually hooked, and everybody's like, he failed 73 times. He's like, no, I learned how to not make a light bulb 73 times. <laughs> yeah, but like a light yeah, bulb is a light bulb. These are my nieces and nephews. I don't want to spoil that relationship. No, no. People didn't buy his light bulb 73 times to find out that it didn't work. Yeah, yeah but right? my, my point being, like, any failure is a learning opportunity, if even, like, for you as a writer to improve, but not taking the shot means that you kind of refuse the the, the opportunity to learn or to grow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so what I'm getting is I'm taking the shot, okay. but I owe it to my niece and my nephew. i got to get it right. How do well, I do that without spoiling This might be oversimplifying, but I feel like, to me, I am really, really big on intent. Because you can see that your intent underneath it is to do the right thing mm -hmm. and to do good. And if that's your intent going through, I think that's going to show and that's going to shine. That you know, Even if not everything's perfect, they can see that you were trying. And that's what I think people should appreciate, is that you're giving it that effort, you're doing the research, you're talking, you're listening. If that intent has that listening. Exactly, yes, exactly. And essentially you. when you encounter negativity, you have to consider where the other person might be coming from too. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you may have accidentally stumbled on something that is particularly traumatizing to them due to their upbringing or lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I don't think that anyone can write anything perfectly. Like. They changed Dr. Smith's character and Lost in Space to a woman, and I love that, but then it also, like, it was one of the things that a lot of people didn't complain about, and I wondered if it was because, like, oh, she's just another crazy woman trope. Like, I love that calculating, like, I loved it because they made Dr. Smith a woman, and traditionally he was a man, but at the same time, you know, like, yeah. and I can see that there would be a lot of women who are actually like, wow, they just, like, did that, and both ways. You know, like, I think there's validity to both sides, but I think the conversation is what's ultimately important, too. And another thing is, is not 100% of the people are going to be happy with what it is you do anyway. So alleviating some of that pressure, like, you can, you know, you can do your due diligence, you can do all the listening, you can do all the fact checking, and people will still be upset with it because they didn't agree with it in some way, shape, or form. You know, as long as you go forth with good intent and realistic portrayal of whatever the topic is, you know, that can be forgiven and people, enough people will find that to be something that they needed. Like, as long as it goes, is out there and it exists, somebody out there will gravitate to it and relate to it. 
and you know you're just gonna fuck all those haters because you know you kind of have to listen to the criticism and consider the source right so if somebody that isn't your target audience doesn't like it because you didn't portray something they they thought you should have portrayed it well you know what do they know and who are they and was it for them I think what's important and cool is that you're holding and making space for that community mm-hmm. that your nieces and nephews will be a part of. Exactly. But I think that's the biggest thing you can do is create and hold that space to the best of your ability to make it another step to move. Like Weston, like he doesn't know always the POC or a, always a female perspective, but he's making and holding space for strong women and for strong POC or gay people. So I think that's the biggest. And if you have, you produce something, right? Your intent is there, you do the listening, the research, you, you're going to have haters. But you should. think about the people that are going to come up to you and say, it really touched me. Like, that's more important, the people that you made a difference in their lives, than the few people who are going to find something to be mad at no matter what. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so that's where I see the danger is. If, if the people that I'm writing for are coming up to me and be like, look, Jeff, you got this wrong, man. That would cut me more than like all the haters. Like, mm. they, if, the, if the haters, they're going to do their thing. Mm-hmm. But if well, my niece is like, uncle, alpha leader, beta readers, yeah, we have LGBT beta readers and editor and stuff to help out. Thank you. Um, I was just going to say, I took a ton of classes, probably a decade ago now, about writing realistic characters. It's a whole series taught by people from LGBTQ community and uh, indigenous people. And the key everyone said was, know exactly where your character comes from. A, a gay 16-year-old in Manhattan is completely different than a gay 16-year-old from Lincoln, Nebraska. You have to know that. It doesn't have to make it on the page, but how that character evolved. Like, you don't write somebody who's Native American. You write somebody from a specific tribe who grew up in Seattle or grew up on the reservation, because that tells you and that's how you avoid stereotypes is by knowing who your character is specifically instead of trying to just broadly capture everybody. That's a really good point. Because I, I can definitely see your point about you know, I don't know how to do it correctly because there's a whole culture there that you may not understand. You may not know the nuances of that culture, but you could like do more research, but if you feel like that you may not be able to do it quite justice. I mean, it's totally okay to just kind of like step back and like, because if you're going to make that character a main character, like, you got to know. Mm-hmm. You got to know. At least some stuff. And I think that goes for any population, not just, you know, LGBT. Like, if you want to write about, you know, growing up in, you know, in a rural Mexico and you have to know what region of Mexico they're in, what kind of what language is spoken there what kind of slang they use so that someone that is from that community can go oh yeah they got that right or we don't use that word at all what is that <laughs> you know and you don't get like those mean youtube comments <laughs> <laughs> on your amazon uh no review like yeah no no you, you gotta you gotta do the digging and I hate doing all that extra work. That's why I write my stuff in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I can just make shit up as well. 
but still having all that stuff in there as well is still important. Like this, it doesn't make it onto the page, but I still got to know all that stuff. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, Say something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I'm sucking up all the air, so I. Uh, is it, also, is it, I think um, when there's that super certain group of people who are very like you know only by writers can write by main characters and only gay people can do this and this, and that also runs the risk of like outing authors because maybe someone mm -hmm. is weird or you know gay or trans and they're not out. That doesn't make their like experience and their ability to write those characters like less than people who are like I was not out as bisexual when I first wrote this book with a bisexual main character and I found it still very like meaningful to explore that part of myself in fiction first before kind of coming out in my day-to-day -day life. Did people reading it ask you or make uh, assumptions? I didn't get any super negative comments, which I was afraid of. I was like afraid that someone was going to come for me and say I got it wrong or like force me to come out before I was ready. Um, but you know, I had people ask, and uh, I, I that was kind of what encouraged me to come out shortly after the book came out. Was that like I did want to be open with those readers who came up, and you know, I really enjoyed seeing this representation on the page, and I was kind of wondering, you know, like, hey, yeah. I was like, I want to be able to say yes, like openly and proudly but also there are authors who are not in a situation or a place where it's going to ever be safe for them to be publicly out and maybe fiction is the only way they're ever going to be able to explore and kind of process and celebrate that part of themselves and I don't think anyone should be trying to take that away from them. I think also saying that a gay person would have to write a gay book or otherwise is putting a wall against what we're trying to do and getting cis people who tend to be hetero to make space for LGBT. If we're like, only we can write it, but you also have to, it's kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> right. so. Or don't. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> I grew up um, in a little bitty town near Amarillo, Texas. So in the 90s, when I was a teenager, you could imagine it was not the friendliest place, and it was so homophobic that it didn't exist. It was swept under the rug. Heaven, Texas did not have gay people. And on one hand, it was I wasn't bullied for that then, because it didn't exist. I was bullied for plenty of other stuff. So you're like, oh, well, that's great, but it was also so lonely. And so there was no representation, none, as I was growing up. And because of that, I felt like I was the only gay person in the world. And so having, this is even to the point of people writing LGBT, even if you're not, if I would have had anything back then to read to say, wow, there were other people like me, I feel validated. Like it would have meant so much to me back then. I, I feel like I have a similar, uh, had a similar experience in, in growing up as a teenager, a gay teenager in the 90s, you know, I grew up here and I knew they were out there. I just didn't know them and I couldn't find them. And you know, I went to Tucson High at the time and that was pretty much, like there was one out black gay guy um, that was uh, present my freshman year, but he graduated. And so when he graduated my sophomore year, I was starting to come out. I was 
alone. I, I felt alone. I mean, I had friends, and I didn't know they were all gay at the time. They all decided to wait until after high school to come out. Or, but they, I think I was like a cautionary tale because I came out and I was the only one I knew, and I was like the gay kid. Uh, I was also a theater kid, so duh. But they watched me suffer and be sad and lonely and depressed, and I'm thinking maybe like they didn't want that, or and they just couldn't cope because they saw how badly I was handling it. And then they all came out like it was nothing. Like, you <laughs> watched me for years, and so I was in high school when you came out. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, that's that's brave. Yeah, well, I didn't know any other way to be. You know. Like, I didn't even know the word gay, what it meant until uh, 97. That was my sophomore year of high school. I was like, oh, is that it? Oh, okay, so that's what that word means. And I just knew that it was bad because people kept saying, oh, when I first met you, I thought you were gay. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I don't want to be that. I don't want to go there. And then I'm realizing, like, in fourth grade, we played the game. Well, they played the game Smear the Queer. I didn't know what that was. And growing up, I'm like, oh my god, that's just rude. But I've never heard of that game. That's I think it's like whoever has the football is Everybody tackles. tackles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I think that's what it was. I wasn't a sports kid. I hung out with my English teachers. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. And so I was desperately looking for any kind of of material, and you, like I found the XY magazines on accident at the smoke shop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, hey, that looks like me, but not me, because of course they were all white kids. So mm -hmm. uh, I found the gay, just not someone that looked like me that was gay. So that was another thing, another intersectionality that I was missing. And I feel like why I write the way I do now is because I want there to be something for someone like me, you know. I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but I, I'm like, representation really, really hella matters, especially for you know, younger kids. Yeah. And I think it's also important that our, our presence in these genres are really important, too, because who doesn't love Peter Pan? Like, who doesn't love space pirates, or who doesn't know love a good horror movie where you know the gay girl or the gay guy or the gay person babies you know they're just out there just giving it to whoever is stalking them like I think that'd be really cool for me to have seen growing up yeah. like we are people we exist and we have agency I find it well this is just my opinion that we are underrepresented in sci-fi fantasy and horror I think it's actually lagging behind other genres and it's so interesting because we're the ones who escape into fantasy because just to get away from the real world. So I feel like so many queer kids escaped into fantasy, yet ironically, that's the genre that is that feels it's lacking. And I, I don't really know why that is. I think Harry Potter was really important for a lot of us kids Everyone. growing up. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. We really saw ourselves, did I, hmm, I did that. But I mean, we didn't know who she was, what she was at the time, but like that was really something that she gave to us that we needed, like an escape, and we could see ourselves in that world. We weren't really there, but like we could have easily have been. And you're you're right that we 
really gravitated towards those genres as kids. I know I did. D and D. D Dumbledore. I I actually was so happy when she said he was gay, but then someone wrote an article pissed off of her being like, "You should have given us signs in the books. Like you shouldn't have covered it up in the but book and come out later and said it." That's very true. I'm saying that's what the article like, said. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. yeah, but but I admit that I'm like I guess I could. I don't know if she took the easy way out to leave out anything that might give some queer kids like oh Dumbledore, the most powerful wizard in the entire world, is gay. Like wow, that that empowers me so much. But I don't know if like what y'all think about her saying it after the fact is okay because she didn't have to write that he was gay because it didn't matter or what. It might not have been her. It might it might not have been her decision during the writing of the book because during the mm. first initial launch oh, of the like series, and stuff. it could have been an NDA type deal to uh, where you know once 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 she once she earned out and got enough wasta and she and she she became that book that, that billionaires. She could she could then say fuck you you was gay you know and explain to them that's interesting you know yeah. she didn't really mention anyone's sexual preferences in particular but that's kind of interesting I wish she would have I mean how would she do it without she, saying she did keep saying well, that Grindelwald was so close to Dumbledore in book seven but nothing overt there's I felt like there were like little speckles and hints that Dumbledore was gay I like it had occurred to me by book four I think. Certainly by book five, absolutely. Um, but she's actually commented on it saying, I didn't think you guys would would be so attached to the fact of this. Like, I'd have told you so, really, but that wasn't the point of the story. Whether she intended it or not, I think it proves that gay is not a defining creed or a defining trait. Like, you can, you have this whole person who's powerful and respected and amazing, and you're like, oh, Annie's gay? Right. Well, when you say in a utopia, <clears throat> every book ever written wouldn't even mention sexuality. Right, because we don't know what Professor Dumbledore does. Mm. I mean, right. I meant to say a McConaughey. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what is her orientation. We assume maybe. And plus, you know, he's not the main character. Like the story, the narrative followed Harry. He was in every scene. So, like, yeah. whether or not Dumbledore had a boyfriend on the side was not necessarily going to be something he was going to. Right. Like, yeah. come yeah. upon, like, Voldemort is trying to kill him, so, like, whether or not Dumbledore is getting something, something on the side is not something he really cares about right now. There's some good fan fiction. Oh. Yes. <laughs> is that allowed? <laughs> I don't know. Like, there was also something recently, I think it was, like, Wizards of the Coast, or uh, one of the RPG groups, they had written a, an NPC in their storyline. And it was something about how, like, when they originally wrote the NPC, they wrote them as female. But then later when they wrote about the, I might be picturing this, but when they wrote about the species it was. Oh, it I was, think I know what you're talking about. Well, they I were genderless or something. Or they were all male. And then basically they came out later, just recently, within like the last year or two, I've been like, oh yeah, no, they're trans. Oh, but they used that mistake, that typo that they had made, or that mistake, and then they did it purposefully to be inclusive. And while people were like mad about it, they were like, "Man, like yeah. this fits. It fits with the kind of the story and everything like that." So it was kind of like a, a happy accident that they then turned into a thing. And I, I thought it was really nice, actually. The story that I know that is similar is World of Warcraft. Oh, maybe that's the one. So, if anyone knows World of Warcraft, there's Chromie the dragon, 
Chromie was the dragon's boy name. That was it. But Chromie does not identify outwardly when being another species to other species as this male figure that most people would expect. The outward figure is a known female. That's right. But Chromie is still their name. So World of Warcraft was like, yeah, it was a mistake, but why would we fix it? There's nothing to fix. It's just what it is. Huh. It's really good. I loved that. I was I like, yeah, that. you don't have to change it. You were pretty on point. Okay. I'm making up to look at it. Yeah, and so I remember reading through Harry Potter as a kid, like before the movies came out, I thought Hermione was black, just based on some of the descriptions mm, of her. A lot of people who yeah, read it just, are like, why is it this way? Like, Who's this, why is Emma Watson doing it? You know, like, mm. I was surprised. But to the point, I mean, I, I, I feel bad kind of outing my character sometimes as gay. If, if I'm going to put a, a gay character in my book, it's like it's their business. But if you don't add those traits or those characteristics, everyone is just white and straight. Mm -hmm. You know, so how, how do you do that but in a respectful way? Do you just... Between characters. Between characters? Like dialogue or something. So, so or, it's, like, it's like a private scene between those two or, characters. Or like something that would particularly happen. Like even if it's passing by, like how was that date with that guy? Okay. You know, something casual that would make sense to the story. And you also want to make sure it's relevant to the story. Exactly. Yeah. Because if, if you're doing it as, I want to make sure people know that's different than saying this matters to the story that I'm telling. This is a goal of the story. Mm -hmm. Like Dumbledore's gayness may not have been relevant to the story. Right. But it's still relevant to Dumbledore. True. True. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Men were clumsy. I thought it was that. I said the men were a clumsy. I thought it was that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think there's been a there's been a wholesale um, title change in the last 15 years or so, um, to whereas uh, people are able. I mean, with with by the number that don't ask don't, don't tell policy, right? And and folks were allowed to, to come in and just be who they want to be, who they are, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the people who want to say, okay, I want to serve my country, and I just have to be gay. Big deal, right? Um, and and it's like it's like I tell everybody, you know, I've been to Afghanistan a couple times, and um, and you know, rah rah, just blew by. I'm not really fighting for my flag, you know. I'm I'm, I'm fighting for my friend here, and my friend here. And if he's gay, he's gay. He's my friend. He's my buddy. He's my pal. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll do anything for each other. And I think it's, it's, it's those relationships that you form, and and the more the more you know, you get these cis straight white males from the south like me, right, who are able to um, meet meet a lot of folks who aren't like me, um, and and appreciate who they are and where they come from. But you know, you know, the better we are as a society. I mean, you know, my my nephew is not only gay, but he's a satyr. I don't know if you know what a satyr is. Sater is a Sater It's a Sater Masochistic motorcycle gang that goes up and down the, the West Coast. It's like the, the gay Hells Angels. Nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. He's yeah, like, so I need a motorcycle. I need a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
So I think that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wesley, did you did you have friends who were out before Don't Ask Don't Tell? So yep. you had to conceal their like you had to protect their, yep. their identity as well. Absolutely. Still be with them. Absolutely. Absolutely, but you know, you know, I, I mean, I was, I've been hugging trees since I was five. You know, the first person I ever asked to marry me was a, was was my mom's college roommate, was a black lady in Velma, and um, I was five and she was eighteen. She was the most beautiful woman I ever saw, and and her loss, she wouldn't wait thirteen years until until I, until I turned until I turned eighteen, or else you know. It would have been a done deal. You know? <laughs> no, I'm, 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 right. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty lovely guy. So I'm not necessarily representational, but I love that you hold space. I am. Yeah. 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 And seriously, we do not like the power of an ally. Is don't underestimate yourself. For that. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, it's so uh, important to have allies. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you might be asking, like, why am I on this panel? This is exactly why you're on this panel. Yeah. You know, to show that, you know, you don't just have to be a gay person, uh, you know, under umbrella term, like, to write or include us in your stories. You know, we, we include straight people in our stories, you know. Hopefully. Accidentally, sometimes. <laughs> 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 you, know, you trip and fall into a straight person and he ends up being in a story. <laughs> I, mean, I just I just have a collection of like straight characters that just happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, you kill somebody off. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. You, you need fodder, so yes. So, so that's yeah. the straight people. <laughs> well, I have space chickens in this book, but the other books, I don't know. <laughs> They're all taped to the point. Maybe, maybe maybe space chicken is sitting doce for you know this white male. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a chicken queen in this book, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, I say queen, didn't say, you know. Yeah. You know, queen. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, queen. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think what can LGBT characters bring to these genres? Like, what do you think, you know. Well-rounded stories. Like, there was a, a guy at, at the panel that I, I last moderated or was in where it was like, okay, what's the point of bringing these people in? Why, you know, we were talking about how James Bond, you know, in the new James Bond movie, um, I don't think he knew, but like, they're like, oh, why would we cast a, a woman as uh, James Bond? Like, well, there's a black woman who has taken over James Bond's 007 title. Like, she's not James Bond, she's 007. And he's like, well, why would they do that? Without, I think it was trying to make it sound like it was an agenda, like diversity. He was like, why would you? There's no point. There's, there's no, no point. point like, so like, why would you even? And it's like, because that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? Well, I mean, people, I maybe maybe people don't see what dynamics these characters can bring to the genre. I mean, I don't see why Legolas couldn't have ended up with, you know. Yeah. One of the other guys. Like I mean, I don't think it would have changed the, the story that much, but it would have been nice to see. I, don't know, I have kind of two thoughts on that. Is I think one, you know, if it was a utopia, it wouldn't matter, but it's not. Okay. And queer characters have been so just swept under the rug that you see another straight character. Straight people don't read it and say, "Wow," you know, it's just 
every day, but having queer people reading about queer characters, it changes our lives. Yeah. And that's why it's like, I, even if people think, oh, we're overdoing it or why, it's like, this is why, because for us, for people who are queer, who have been underrepresented, this matters. And I would rather see too much of it right now because we're the ones who need it. But also, my brother-in-law is very straight and right-wing and whatever, and in Stranger Things, whenever Maya Rudolph's character, Robin, comes out, he was like, here we go again, you also you have to throw the gay character. But I'm like, five to 10% of the population is queer. When you look at TVs and movies, if we're really trying to represent real life, five to 10% of them should be queer, mm-hmm. just, to rep- just to be, one-to-one with real life. Mm-hmm. So if that's what we're trying to do, then you adding that in just makes this more like real life. If we're just talking statistics here, but because TV's always been you know, straight, it feels like it's being overloaded with queer, when in fact, all we're doing is just evening it out with what the mm-hmm. population really is. We're just trying to exist in the same space that you've denied us for. Like, we have been here. It's not like you just suddenly Brought up. Where did we exactly talk about? right? There was a plague of gay people. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Yes. I want that plague. <laughs> We're just trying to normalize it as it should be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, historically, you guys were just best friends. So I think um, something that's really relevant uh, is that Disney Pixar movie, Luca. Yes. I, I bought it. I haven't watched it yet, but I watched a whole bunch of like video essays on, on YouTube where like it is like the gayest Disney movie, unapologetically gay, but it's not outright said that they're gay. And they're also like nine, so right. yeah. at the same time, but like all of the tropes are there. All of the, not the tropes, all the signs are there. The meaning is there. They're two sea creatures that come up on the surface and they look human until they go back in the water and they're trying to like live their best life and their parents try to separate them because this guy's a bad influence and they find their no good like girlfriend and there's jealousy because he wants to hang out with her more i mean it's it's all there but people really want to deny that this is not a gay story these are no kids gay kids don't exist you're just trying to push something that you want to see into something that's not there well, at the end, you have all the little, the little old ladies yeah, the ice cream ladies. coming yeah. up, you know, to visit their friends. You know, right. Yeah. So, like, people don't. Right, ice cream ladies. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it all, I mean, it has a happy ending. I mean, it, it, it's mm-hmm. Disney. It's going to. So, no spoilers, really. <laughs> but I, I think. People really get upset about LGBT representation, representation when it's aimed at children. Well, it's so the problem that I've seen because I've I've also grown up in a similar small town community like like some of the folks here. I, I see it in my other loved ones who who's unfortunately they view it like it's a disease. Like you're going to catch it or somehow you're going to give it to a kid mm-hmm. if they're exposed to it, and it's just not the case. 
you know, it's it's just not the case at all. To to, to think that that's what's going to make him gay, watching Luca, like give me right. a break. You know, like reading all the books in school, give me a break. Yeah. It's like we we like to flip it on his head. Like we grew up watching all those straight movies, and we're still did gay. you get straight with like yeah. kissing yeah. and because like. <laughs> I watched a lot of Lost Boys, okay? There's a lot of attraction to women that made me gay. Yeah. I think that's where the fear lies. You know, it's, un- it's just unfortunate. It's like, got to change. Should, and they should not, I, I feel like, I mean, I wasn't 18 before I saw gay stuff. Or was, know that it existed and, it, you know, like, we shouldn't have to make children wait until they're 18 to realize who they are. Mm-hmm. There are a lot. Children are realizing themselves a lot younger than previous generations, when because they have that space to be able to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas our uh, our predecessors, they were not able to do that as freely as we can and as freely as they can. I mean, we, even we, our age, still had some stuff going on. I mean, Matthew Shepard was only a couple of years older than me, mm-hmm. but uh, and then he died. But like, I think it's really important that. In this culture where the buzzword is gay, LGBT, you know, oh my god, hush, hush, don't talk about it. Like, they heard it, they want to know what it is, and like, oh my god, that could be me. And having cartoon shows that they watch represent them, I think, is amazing. I mean, they're not getting down and dirty on it, so like, why is this a problem? You know, oh, go, oh no, two boys kissed. It's a cartoon. Okay, mm. calm down, Susan. It's a cartoon. I'm calm. I'm calm. <laughs> <laughs> it's Susan. Okay. Oh. <laughs> nice. And I looked right at you. <laughs> <laughs> Your eyes were like in your mask. Like, Whoa. <laughs> I was just thinking about shows that are really good at representation and showing that, and like if. You have not, if anybody here is interested in a really good job representation, even though it's geared for children, Steven Universe yes. is probably one of the best representative because it doesn't talk about sexuality and yet it is still there. All like, there. It, it really is. And it's one of the most beautiful, like, chef's kiss. So if you're interested and you got some time, they're like 10 minute episodes, treat yourself. They're amazing. My little one is 11 and has claimed, with the knowledge that they can change their mind, to be pansexual. And they're 11. I mean, that's a new development because they're 11, but they're on board and they try their best. And they always have to like be inclusive. They're, what did they decide yet? Pansexual. Oh, you know, I have a couple of friends, they, they had kids when they were four and five, and mm-hmm. it was right around the same time. One of them had a boy that was just decided, I'm a girl, mm-hmm. and the other one had a girl that decided she was a boy, and, oh. and they were both raised by liberal parents, so mm-hmm. they were like, oh, that's cool, here's a parade, you guys can go to, and, you know, I just was like, wow, that's why, you know, what a difference there. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you're able to figure yourself out at that age, like, what a joy. That should be, parents should be like, hell yeah, like, you don't have all of those many years of confusion. Yeah. <laughs> I give it with the caveat that they can change their mind. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Just gonna put into that that coming out of that I came out when I was twelve, so coming out at that age is a very mixed bag. On the one hand, like it's off your shoulders and people know what's gonna happen the way it happens. On the other hand, you have middle schoolers coming oh, at you the yeah. way they will. Mm. And and I was pagan I, I'm still pagan, but I was identifying pagan then too. So like I'm a gay witch and I'm twelve and like what was done to me, what's wrong with my head, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a factor. 
On the other hand, though, like you don't have to wait or worry about coming out in high school or college or adulthood or never doing it. Mm -hmm. You did it when you were a child. Like should have totally all that. Hell yeah, but you twelve year old rich. Don't mess don't mess with me. <laughs> 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 like that. But also but also if if their parents like they are still dependent on their parents for the next six years. Yeah. So if they are not as welcoming then they it is not as safe for them to be as to themselves question. too. Mm. Or if your parents are in the closet. How did that work out for you if I if you don't mind my asking? Um well, I when my mom was suspecting that I was about to tell her, she she doesn't remember this, but she cried and begged me not to be, not because she didn't want me to be, but she it was hard enough that I'm a black man, you know, going to be a black man in this world, but now I'm going to throw gay on top of it, and having you know she lives through the AIDS epidemic or pandemic or. No, she lived through that uh, in her 20s, you know, in the 80s. Like, she saw what was happening to gay people, um, gay men mostly. Um, and she's like, I don't want that for you. Like, this was, I, what, 97? So, like, it was only, like, 17 years ago that the AIDS epidemic happened and was still happening. And she, she did not want that for me. And I didn't understand at the time. I took it as, like, rejection. Like, oh, God, she doesn't want me. And... And and I realized she wasn't that type of person, so I'm like, it's got to be something else. And I realized, oh yeah, I'm black, a male, and gay. She doesn't. She she worried about the life I would be able to live. And then of course Matthew Shepard had just happened, so she was afraid of that happening to me. She didn't want my life to be much harder. But once I told her, um, yeah, no, I because I was about to come out, and then she did that, and I held back. And I held back and I pulled back in. I'm like, no, mom, it's okay, it's okay. But then, like, no, I really, really need to let her know. I really need to be myself because it's really hard for me to not be myself. And I needed to know that she was going to be okay with it. So suddenly, I'm like, mom, do you think David Duchovny's hot? Do you do you think you would do David Duchovny? Because I would totally do David Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, okay, okay, sounds good. <laughs> Back to the very beginning, we're talking about how you know the well, being queer was seen as tragic, mm. tragic, tragic, tragic. And this is another like back to the very beginning about having positive representation. Because if her mom would have seen positive gay people who were happy and successful, then she would have something else to be like, oh, you can live a really happy, normal life. Well, if we had a movie like Philadelphia, yeah, that was tragic. Oh my god, right. Torch Song trilogy, yeah. like anything with a gay person yeah. in it, it was awful. And ended up. All right. Well, I think we are close to the end of our time. Six fifty-seven. Six fifty-seven. Should we milk Avery last second? <laughs> <laughs> we struggled to get here. We are going to take up Avery last. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's sort of a question, but more like just a comment. I also think representation is important to help cisgender straight people become more accepting. Because a lot of times what has happened with any marginalized community is that they've been demonized as well. So when you come out with new books and stories that can affect the younger generation of future straight people, they can then start to be like, oh, wait, this is a little bit wrong or messed up or what I'm seeing. And then they start to get It puts them in those places. It puts them in those places. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts that I hope any Buddy who reads my books take away. It's just like, oh, my mind has been expanded. I can make more space for people. Right. 
I do I do believe that is happening. I do um, definitely with Gen Z. I, I think, and I think even the millennials. You know, we grew up knowing that racism was bad, and we were. You know, <laughs> we knew it was bad. We knew it was bad, but like you know, it, we took it more seriously. And because we saw the injustices, we were taught the injustices, hopefully correctly, um, and we're like, okay, that's that's not cool in my book. And now the next generation is like, okay, now we need to be nicer to gay people and LGBT people and trans people and non-binary people. Like, we need to be okay with that. And as soon as now all this visibility that we have that we didn't have when we were younger, they're like, this is going to be commonplace. And then they can tackle the next generation of that we invent. <laughs> right. right. Yes. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for coming. Great questions. Thank you much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.